We're in a series of parables that we're studying from the last days of Jesus' life. Now, I was a teenager one time, and uh, we lived in Kentucky. And in Kentucky, we, we dealt with trash differently. Trash was not free like it is here in Idaho. Isn't that nice to be able to go to the dump and just take your stuff there for free? We pay taxes, but it's not like we add, you know, whatever. I know it. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> I was a teenager. I didn't know all the tax stuff. But in Kentucky, we, we had these burn barrels. This might not have been the best thing. Um, people put, would have burn piles. They didn't look as good. We had a burn barrel. And in the burn barrel, you take anything that's burnable, and you'd throw it in there, and you'd, you'd uh, incinerate it. Because... You don't really want to pay for those expensive bags that you have to put all your trash in if you're going to take it to the dump. Every bag was, I don't know, a ridiculous amount of money in my mind. And, uh, and so you, you don't want trash. You just burn everything you can. And it was my job to take the trash out and to do the burn barrel stuff. And uh, sometimes my mom would... Uh, would have to remind me. You know, the trash filled up in the kitchen and she was working in there and needed to do something. And, and uh, she would call into the other room, Jason, could you please empty the trash? And I'm sure it was the sweetest voice ever. <laughs> I'm sure. And I would be like, uh, sure. And then I wouldn't do it. I had stuff going on. My life was busy. I was a teenager. You know how it is, teenagers, right? You got stuff that's important, and your parents don't recognize that your stuff's important too. So a few minutes later, maybe 20 minutes goes by, and the the call comes again a little bit more urgently, not quite as sweet this time. Jason, the trash needs to be taken out. And at that point, you know what was going on in my mind? If she wants it taken out so bad, she can take it out herself. You've never had that attitude, right? No, no, no. It's only me. Now, what I didn't recognize in my immaturity is that my mom has a a lot of responsibilities that I don't see. And that adding trash to her responsibility list, while doable, was a burden that she shouldn't have had to bear. And me, as a teenager, my responsibilities were fairly limited, and I should have been on that task, eagerly helping my mom. That's what I should have been, Um, but uh, my heart wasn't there. And that's what I want to focus on in our study today in Matthew chapter 25, is the heart. What's happening in the heart? And the stories that Jesus has been telling in uh, this whole series of parables have been about the heart. And uh, kids, this is your turn. I gave you a piece of paper and a pen because I want you to draw something for me and I want you to show it to me afterwards. The thing on the screen doesn't need to be anything like what you draw, but I do want you to pay attention to the story about the 10 young ladies with 10 jars, not jars, 10 lamps, um, and five of them have extra jars of oil, right? Those are the the three components, 10 young ladies, 10 lamps, and five extra things of oil. Now, you, if you want to, can draw them in the field. They were probably out um, a little ways from town, and uh, there's probably some trees and maybe some fields around them. Uh, But these ladies were waiting in the dark, 
until the, the wedding party came by. So draw that for me while I'm, I'm sharing this story. And uh, we'll go to Matthew chapter 25. And let's read together Matthew 25 and verses 1 and 2. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Let's stop and just think about the parallels We're going to look at at parallels from a previous message that we've talked about. So hopefully you remember the three messages I've preached so far on the last parables of Jesus. And if you don't, here's a a really brief overview. Um, In Matthew chapter 21, we found two boys, one who openly refused to obey his father's command or request to go out and work in the vineyard, but then later repented and in love obeyed his dad. And the, the other who said, sure, dad, I'll go and work in the vineyard, but who didn't. Right? So there's a, a heart issue, but the contrast is there. The two brothers, um, obedient and disobedient. And then we have in Matthew 22, a parable of the wedding feast where they were worthy and unworthy guests. The worthy guests, they, they responded to the invitation and they accepted the robe for the wedding feast. The unworthy guests refused the invitation, many of them even harming the, the messengers that were sent out. In Matthew 24, we found there was these, uh, this scenario where there was a faithful and wise servant who was asked to take care of the master's house while he was gone and feed his family. And then there is the uh, example of the unfaithful servant who went out and partied with uh, the master's resources and ended up hurting the master's family. Each of these parables is a, a comparison between two extremes, the obedient versus the disobedient, the worthy versus the unworthy, the faithful versus the unfaithful. And in Matthew 25, we have the wise and the unwise. Do you see the parallels? I think that Jesus is, he's telling the same story over and over and over again with different angles, different facets, so that we'll start to see a whole picture. And, and the picture is, it's a, it's a story about what's going to happen before Jesus comes in the waiting time between his first coming and the second coming and how we can be ready for Jesus' return. Let's review these stories briefly, and let's figure out what it is that Jesus was trying to teach us about the waiting time. In Matthew chapter 21, we found that God expects his people to bear fruit and to give it back to him. When the caretakers of the vineyard refused to give the fruit back to him, he punished them and brought new caretakers in. Right? He, he wanted fruit, but we, we found there's three different aspects of that vineyard. The first was the vineyard of our hearts, and our responsibility is to tend our hearts, but God has made every provision for our hearts to bear fruit, and the fruit he, wa- he wants us to bear is the fruit, of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you. I needed you to make sure that you're tracking with me. The fruit of the Spirit, and, and then there's the, the, the vineyard of our church, and God asks the church to be a maturing church, not just always needing the milk, but uh, learning and growing and maturing in Jesus together. And that's something that he calls discipleship. He expects brotherly love to grow in the church. And that's the fruit that we give back to him. And, and, and then he gives us gifts, not just the fruit of the spirit, but he gives us gifts for the purpose of bearing fruit in the world, which is the third vineyard. And the fruit that we bear there is the cultivation and harvesting of the souls turned towards Christ. People who fall in love with Jesus because of the influence of the spirit and our work in their lives. 
three vineyards, three fruit that we give back to God. And, and then in the, the second message, we looked at the parable of this wedding feast, and we learned that we can't bring our own fruit, it's only what God produces that's of any value. So we can't bring the righteousness of our own, you know, the robes of our own righteousness into the wedding feast. We, we need to simply accept the, the invitation to come to the wedding, and then we need to accept the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers us. Um, and, and then... In our last message, we explored the parable of the servant whom his master set over his household to give them food at their proper time. And we found that God's provided all the, the, resor- all the resources that are necessary in order for us to do that work that he's called us to do. Everything is provided by God. But if we take God's resources and we use them on our own selfishness, um, think theological debates and, and, and just like navel-gazing church, right? That's when we use God's resources on ourselves, then God sees us as unfaithful. What he's asked us to do is to feed his family. And let me just ask you, in all the world, who are God's children? All of them, right? He made everybody. Everybody is a child of God, and he wants us to accept that inheritance. Now, some refuse, but Many refuse because they haven't heard, and they haven't heard because we haven't told them. Go into all the world he's asked us to do and preach the gospel, teaching, discipling, baptizing. That's our job. And if we don't do it, he says that we're unfaithful. And there's some bad results for that. So let's, let's just review these three things. First, he asks us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Second, wear the robe of Christ's righteousness. And third, share the food God's provided in his word. Can you repeat those three with me? Just the the bold part. Bear the fruit, wear the robe, share the food. This isn't complicated stuff, is it? Jesus is saying, this is what you do while you're waiting for my return. All right, now we need to go back to Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 4, and dive into this story. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now imagine the scene with me. There's a wedding going on. Uh, The groom has gone out to the bride's house. And whether because of the bride's preparations or maybe the bride's father's hesitation at the marriage contract, for one reason or another, there's an expected delay You know, ladies, there's always going to be a delay at a wedding, right? Just expect it. Plan for it. And so the groom has. He has provided all the resources for an expected delay. In this case, they've worked it out for 10 young ladies to be on the road between the bride's house and the place that she's going to go to be her new home. And and in in this in-between place, they don't have street lamps. And so these ladies are there with some, some lamps of some kind to light the way when the wedding party comes. And they don't have a schedule. There's no program printed up that at three o'clock, the wedding will start. It doesn't work that way. You just have to sit there and wait. And my guess is they're not gathered just clumped up. They're probably scattered along this road just a little bit, right? Not very far, but, but enough that they can each light part of the path and lead them to the place that they should go. Um, and, and the groom has provided the lamps and he's provided the oil. Keep that in the back of your mind. It's not 
explicitly stated in this text that that's the case in this parable. But notice all the other parables have had provisions that God has made, a robe, a vineyard that's planted by him, right? In this case, oil that's given by the, by the, the groom. Now, these lamps, they represent the word of God. In Psalm 119, verse 105, the Bible says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is the, is the lamp in this story. And the oil represents the spirit of God. In Zechariah chapter 4, there's a cool story about this um, uh, branched candlestick, kind of like the sanctuary has a branched candlestick. So this candlestick situation or this oil lamp situation has these golden rods that come from either side from two different olive trees. And the olive trees are, are somehow miraculously producing not just olives, but oil. And the oil is coming down these tubes. The point is, is uh, the conclusion, the spiritual thing that we're wanting to learn, not how trees and oil work. That's not the point. So in, in this story, he describes this oil. And, uh, and God says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, this is the word of the Lord is Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And when you have trees that are producing olive oil, is there ever an end to the supply? No, they're living. They're living things that are constantly producing new supplies. So will there ever be a lack of oil? No. There is no lack to the supply that God has given. Did the groom supply enough oil to these young ladies? Absolutely. Did they all accept it? See, that's where the thing changes. Everything changes when we look at what happens to these five foolish virgins. In verse 5, it says that the bridegroom was delayed, and they all became drowsy and slept. Ten young ladies sitting there with nothing to do but hold a lamp, and it gets dark. There's no iPhones for (laughs) scrolling through TikTok or Facebook or Instagram, and so they fall asleep. Might be a good idea for us to do that when it's time to go to sleep too, right? (laughs) Um, but, but these young ladies fall asleep, and, and Jesus does not say that that's the problem. He does not call them foolish because they slept. Well, it probably was better if they would have stayed awake, don't get me wrong, because when they wake up, they have to trim their lamps, and there's some work that they, they left undone while they were sleeping. But he does not fault them for their sleep. Instead, he calls them foolish for this reason. It says, uh, at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. And the wise answered, saying, since there will be not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. At midnight, the time when the wedding party needed the most light, these ladies weren't quite ready because they'd fallen asleep. There's some lessons for us. Being ready is part of what Jesus wants us to learn from these parables. So there's some lessons for us to learn about this particular subject. If the lamp is God's word, does being ready include time in God's word? I think it should. But 
being in God's word does not make you religious, and it certainly doesn't make you a child of God. As uh, one person pointed out, even the devil believes and understands the Bible. But he's, he's not saved. He doesn't love Jesus. So there's another component to this. And what's that other component? In order for light to exist, you need the lamp and you need the, you need the oil. You need the Word of God and you need the Holy Spirit. Both of these things are essential in order for light to happen. There's a simple idea that's repeated in each of these parables. There's a work that has to be done. It's not a complicated work. It is not something that makes us saved. We cannot save ourselves. That's um, clear. Uh, But there's a responsibility. In in one, it's the the vineyard. Go dress the vines and reap the fruit, right? Um, In another, uh, it, it has to do with putting on this robe, right? You know, accepting the robe. And there's an expectation for these young ladies as well. There's, they're supposed to be light bearers. That's tempting to think when we look at these young ladies that there's five extra spiritual Christians represented and five nominal Christians represented. And while we might go, get to the right place with that conclusion, that's not really what's going on. Because what we what we can conclude, if we assume that, is that you can have the Holy Spirit, or you can have lots of the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, I don't know, I probably don't have very much of the Holy Spirit. I just have a little bit. And so probably my light isn't as bright as the next person's. I'm not as spiritual as they are. You know, look, look they know so much about the Bible. They must be holier Christians, more righteous Christians, brighter, shining Christians. But let's just think about the mechanics of an oil lamp. You have a wick provided by the groom. They're all the same. You have a wick and you have a lamp. And, and the oil goes into that lamp and you light the end of the wick and the wick burns. Now, there's a tiny bit of variation that you can get in how much light that candle produces. But pretty much the candle is going to burn about the same amount of oil every minute or every hour, no matter how much oil you have in reserve. So you could have a thousand gallons of oil in reserve and the light not burn any brighter. So that makes me think this isn't talking about the holiness or brightness or righteousness or extraness of a Christian. What we're talking about is simply a duration of the Christian. Because see, the one Christian might be compared to, uh, well, actually, let's look at another parable just to think about uh, a comparison that Jesus made. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells the, the, the story of a sower who goes out to sow some seed, and he talks about the ground. The sower represents Christ. The seed represents the gospel message and faith in that gospel message. It's growing, and that's growing faith, right? So, so then the ground represents the hearts of the hearers, the people that receive that faith or not. And in this case, there are four different grounds. And the ground that uh, the, 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 the path doesn't receive the seed, doesn't allow the faith to grow at all. Then there's the, the brambles, the, the, the weeds. The seed falls there, but it can't 
can't climb up very high because they're just choked out by all the other plants. And so it, it doesn't thrive. It doesn't grow there. And then there's the good ground. And that would be the ground that represents those wise young ladies who had the extra oil. The ground of their hearts allowed the seed of faith to grow. And, and it didn't choke it out. But then the, the last ground was the rocky ground, and that represents the, the unwise young ladies. Their hearts received the word. They had the lamp in hand. For a time, all 10 of these young ladies had a light that was burning. But sometime in the delay, while they slept, in that moment where their, where their spiritual lives were put to test, you might say, the foolish virgins... The foolish young ladies, they, instead of receiving the Holy Spirit, they received eh, everything else in the world, whatever distraction that was there. And when the time came, the bridegroom is announced, he's going to be here, they, they no longer had that experience. They no longer had been interacting with God. There's a, a fantastic quote in a book that I've been reading for this study called Christ Object Lessons, and it describes these foolish virgins, and it says this, they do not know God. They, they haven't studied his character. They have not held communion with him, and therefore they do not know how to trust, how to look and live. Their service to God degenerates into a form. And, and wasn't this the experience of the Pharisees? Their religion had just been a form Instead of an interactive knowledge of God where when Jesus came, they would have been like, you, I, I've been praying to you all along. I know who you are. Instead, they're like, you, go away. We've got our forms. No, thank you. Formal religion never saved anybody, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't save us. They didn't go down to the root of their faith deep in their hearts and allow it to thrive. Instead, they... They allowed formal religion. They allowed the problems in their lives. They allowed their doubts or their questions or the conflicts with other people to be barriers in their hearts for the gospel to grow and thrive. And when the testing time came, they had no oil. Let's keep reading in Matthew 25, verse 10. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Do you see the problem in that first sentence? While they were going to buy. We've looked at this before in Isaiah 51, I think. Um, God invites Israel, come buy from me without money and without price. Why? Because I am the fountain of every resource. I've got everything you need. Come buy from me. Uh, but when the ladies refused to take that extra oil from the groom, they had to go buy for themselves. Did the wedding guest get any extra points when he said, oh, I like my robe better than yours? Was that a good thing for the wedding guest? No, it didn't work out for him. Um, no resource that we bring to the table is of any value. That just, it, nothing that we can bring to God except for our 
our, our humble surrender and spiritual death at his feet. Nothing amounts to anything. He provides all the resources. And, and think about it. When God pours out all of heaven for us, when he weaves in the loom of heaven the robe of righteousness and allows us to put it on, what a slap in, in his face for us to say, I've got this, no thanks. The picture in this story, uh, the, the wedding feast moment where everybody's come in except for these foolish virgins, and, and Jesus says to these so-called Christians, I do not know you. This moment is a sobering and challenging moment. How can Jesus say, I don't know you? Didn't he know them? And the truth is, He didn't know them because they didn't know him. They had no knowledge of him because they hadn't sat at his feet. Instead, they went to the bazaar of the world and human traditions and man-made religions to buy their oil. Jesus says, I'll give my Holy Spirit to you freely. Hmm. So, so how do we apply this story? How do we take what we've learned, this idea of, of God providing the oil and the oil being the Holy Spirit and the lamp being the word, how do we apply this to our experience? I, I think the first thing we need to recognize is that, that God has given us every resource that we need. And read this, par- this paragraph with me. It's from Christ's Object Lessons, uh, chapter 29. It says, in the great and measureless gift of the Holy Spirit are contained all of heaven's resources. It is not because of any restriction on the part of God that the riches of his grace do not flow earthward to men. If all were, notice that word, if all were willing to receive, all would become filled with his spirit. Are you willing? That's the question that Jesus is asking. He's talking to the Pharisees during this time, this last few days of his life. He's responding to their their problem with him and their desire to kill him. And he's tugging at their hearts. And he says, if you were just willing to receive. In one place, he said that, that uh, I, I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Do you resist? Are those boulders in your heart preventing you from accepting and receiving? And honestly, this is a, a fabulous concept. The, the foolish virgins had access to a limitless supply of resources. Do you have a limitless supply of resources at your disposal? Yes, you do. Limitless. As for, for everything God has asked you to do, every responsibility that he has put on your shoulders, he has given you a limitless supply of resources in order to accomplish it. Sometimes we don't feel that way. And usually it's because we're going to buy our own oil. We're going out to try to solve the problem on our own. Every difficulty that we face, our first response should be fill in the blank. What should our first response be? Prayer. Every difficulty is a call to prayer. Just go and pray. First thing, you lose your keys. You don't have to strive on your own for a long time looking for your keys. Just ask, God, I've got a difficulty now. Can you help And he's given you limitless resources. Now, you might not find him right away, but trusting in his plan, he's going to provide for you. If all were willing to receive, all would become filled with his spirit. And 
just come back to this idea of quantity. Uh, do we have a spirit cup in our bodies? You know, where, where, where we could have like a foot full of spirit. And other people have, you know, both legs full of the spirit. And, and some people are full up to their eyebrows of the spirit. But that's just a few, right? Only a few are really blessed with that measure of the spirit. Is that, is that the case? No. That is not how God represents the spirit. The spirit is accessible in all his limitless resources to everyone who's willing. Jesus calls us to let your light so shine. What's the light? The light that results from the spirit and the lamp of God's word being in our lives. The light is the witness for Jesus. It's the light that points people to the wedding room, the the place where the feast is going to happen. And that's the responsibility we have is to be a light to the world. And there is no light without God's word in our hearts and his Holy Spirit providing the power. If you want to be a light to the world, God's not asking you to shine like a beacon, like those, those uh, car lights that you can see for thousands of miles around, right? Um, you know, the, the, the big lights they shine up when there's car shows and stuff. He's not asking you to be la- that. He's asking you to be a torch, like the young ladies lighting the way to the wedding feast, each one of us playing our part in the process. And he says he's given you what's necessary to do that. 100% of what's necessary. Not a footful, but 100% of what's necessary. But here's the solution that we need. We cannot keep Christ apart from our lives right now and expect that we'd be fitted for his companionship in heaven. Today, he says, is the day of salvation. Today is the day to surrender. Today is the day to give up on those rocks that keep your faith from growing. Hmm. In John 15, Jesus made the, the plan of salvation super clear. He, he said, abide in me and let me abide in you. That's it. Abide in me. That's come to me. Be in my word. Talk to me. Pray. And and that's uh, the abiding process. And then he says, let me abide in you, which means that we give him our lives. How about your your bank account? Does your bank account belong to Jesus? Uh, There's some marriages that work differently. Um, My wife and I share a bank account. My my money belongs to her and her money belongs to me, which is dangerous. Um, (laughs) On, on her part. Um, other, other marriages find that it's better to have two different bank accounts and, you know, meet in the middle somehow. Uh, I'm not here to judge either way, but when it comes to God's resources, he's inviting us to share our bank account with him. And guess what? It's a covenant relationship, and he shares his bank account with you too. Which is more risky, for you to share with him or for him to share with you? Huh. And what about your time? Is your calendar, does that belong to God? Huh. Is it just once a week that we give our calendar to God? Oh, yeah, that Sabbath for two, three hours, or however long the pastor preaches this week, that belongs to God. Or is it our entire calendar? Does your mind belong to God? Does your bookshelf belong to God? Um, what, what is God's in your life? He invites us to give it all to him. And, and when we do, we say, here, here, God, you can live in my life. You can live in my calendar. You can take control of my bookshelf or my Kindle or whatever it is that you have. You can take control of my, my everything. Abide in me and I in you. 
That's salvation. We give, we give ourselves to God, and, and the Bible says that he lives his life out through us. And do you know what happens when we uh, saturate ourselves with the word and, and allow the spirit to be in our lives? What automatically happens without you even having to stress about it? We shine. Christ does not bid his followers to strive to shine. He says, let your light shine. If you have received the grace of God, the light is in you. Remove the obstructions and the Lord's glory will be revealed. The light will shine forth to penetrate and dispel the darkness. You cannot help shining when the, within the range of your influence. You cannot help it. If you are surrendered to God, you just shine. Does that take some stress off? I hope it does. God didn't invite us to stress. Let's, let's distill this truth to one simple statement. You ready? We already did the first three. Bear the fruit of the Spirit, wear the robe of Christ's righteousness, share the fruit, food God has provided in His Word, and then receive the Spirit and let Him shine through. Let's uh, say that last one together. Receive the Spirit and let Him shine through. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do in these parables. They're not complicated. He's invited us to watch and wait while he delays. Until he returns, this is what he's called us to do. Are there any rocks in your life that are preventing this from happening? Is there anything that's uh, keeping you from receiving the word? Maybe a doubt, maybe a, um, some kind of a thing that's, that, that's holding you in your life, um, an addiction or a, um, some kind of, I don't know, whatever it is. Is there something keeping you from it? When my mom sweetly asked me to go take out the trash, my response was a bad response. Why, why can't she take it out? My anger, my irritation, that illustrated the rock in my life. And that rock was that I was not loving to my mom. I didn't love her in the way that she deserved to be loved. The problem wasn't the trash. The trash wasn't the, the issue the, the thing that, that I needed to respond to was love for my mom. If I loved her, I would have eagerly put down whatever I was doing and, and thought, oh, how can I help? Yeah, sure, I'll be there. And I would have taken the trash out right, right away. I hope you're listening to this, children, especially mine. <laughs> Obedience happens because our hearts are filled with love. And the same is true for Jesus. Our light shines when our hearts are filled with love and surrender to him. Maybe we have a grudge that we've clung to for years. Do you have one of those? Something that just is in your life about somebody. It's not all the time, but every time you see them, you know it's there. Then in that case, you know that's a rock in your life that's preventing your light from shining, that's preventing you from receiving, willingly receiving the Holy Spirit. Get it gone. Send it away. Forgive. For others, it's a habit that they know it's hurting them, maybe even others, and uh, they just can't imagine their life without it, and so they keep on keeping on. They don't, they don't seek help to solve the problem. They don't try to get that habit out of their life. For some, it's a pursuit of leisure or pleasure that they just can't imagine doing without. It's the television or the video games, the gambling, the novels, the guns, the dirt bikes, whatever the hobby is or activity or, or whatever the thing is in your life that is more important to you than following Jesus, that thing is the rock in your heart that's preventing the, the, the root of faith from growing. 
For some, it's a pattern of belief, an idea that they have about God that they're unwilling to let go of, some doctrine they've closely held for some long period of time, and they just can't imagine living their life without believing it in this particular way. A man-made tradition, maybe, that's so important to them, a formalism in their lives that they can't do without. And when the pastor comes in and tweaks that service just a little bit, oh my goodness, how the saints rise up. Formalism never saves anybody, right? The the way that we do our service today, I mentioned earlier, is is a form that's beautiful, but it's not there in the Bible. It's good. We shouldn't abandon it, but it's not explicitly stated, this is how you should do church. And, and yet we hold on to that tradition of how we do it so closely. Hmm. When Jesus, what Jesus wants is your heart. He wants you to say, take me, I'm yours. The only thing that keeps the spirit from entering our lives is our unwillingness to receive him. Anything that prevents you from receiving God's spirit, Jesus says is foolish. How would you like to be wise? Would you like to be wise? All it takes is for you to say yes to the unlimitless, to the limitless resources that Jesus has already provided in his spirit. Will you stand with me and sing together a special song?